Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm ah, 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 ah. <laughs> It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this special crossover between podcasts James and Ashley Stay at Home and Words and Nerds podcast. And thank you, Ashley and James, so much for having this conversation. It's been my goal in 2021 to speak to more podcasters. So here we are. Oh, that's so exciting. Like, the yeah, I'm glad we're, like, kicking off 2021 uh, and your new podcast a crossover goal with uh, an episode with us. So thank you. So I'm Danny V from Words and Nerds. I'm Ashley Collegian Blunt. And I'm James Mackenzie Watson. And James and I are, of course, the eponymous James and Ashley stay at home. Today, though, we're James and Ashley stay at home with Danny V with words and nerves. <laughs> I, I've always felt that the title of our podcast <laughs> is too short. So I think that this is good. Mm, it'd be a good acronym, too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just half the Scrabble letters. All right. Well, Danny, I, I'm so impressed with your podcast. You've interviewed such an incredible range of guests and you've got over 200 episodes. Is that right? Yeah, I think I'm about up to 250 now. Oh my gosh. So tell us, tell us about your podcast. When did it start and what did you set out to do? Um, I started in 2017 and all I wanted to do was just have really good conversations about books. So I was an English teacher for 17 years and I sort of did that as my day job, but there were so many books that I'd read that I really just wanted to talk about with people or speak to the author about because you always have these questions about how did it come together and you know why did you write this and where did it come from? And, um, yeah, so I think that was the aim. And I think someone said to me recently, oh, you know, you're the podcast that promotes books. And I said, oh, well, maybe that it does that. I said, but it was never about that as being first and foremost because I really wanted the podcast just to be 
about conversations, about literature, writing, humanity and everything in between. And I guess it exceeded my expectations because I had none to start with. So that's always a good place to start, I think, having no expectations. And then I just think back, you know, when people ask me these questions about the people that I've spoken to, you included, Ashley, when you were a part of, or two now, one of my summer series um, episodes and also about your book. And, um, you know, the stories that I get from people and having them share their experiences with me as humans and artists, it's just such an absolute privilege, you know, and now I think, I think I'm addicted to it. <laughs> there are worse things to be addicted to. <laughs> I find that's yeah, so true. The, uh, the Australian writing and reading community is just like one of the loveliest groups of people I've ever met anywhere. And I feel like I can just go up to anyone who's a reader and just have a conversation with them. And it doesn't matter if we don't read anything in common, but it's just like something about talking about books. Like it's just like it, people who read books are just great yeah. people. So I, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised you're addicted to it. It's more than about books, you know, like well, you can talk about the book, but it never, the conversation never just stays there. You know, it's always about the world and where did these ideas come from and, you know, adjust to society and trying to create that through writing and through reading and and connecting with human beings. So Mm. I think that's why I always go really personal with mine and I don't mean to. It's just I'm the worst person to sit next to at a wedding because I won't ask you (laughs) what you do for a job. I'll be like, what are your deepest, darkest fears? Please tell me them all. (laughs) I think that would be a more interesting conversation to have at a wedding. Yeah, be warned if you get stuck next to me. (laughs) There's no small talk here. (laughs) The idea for James and Ashley Stay at Home came as much from the books and the writing and all the same things that you're talking about uh, as it did from the health angle. Uh, Ashley and I met, uh, we're both part of a writing group uh, in Sydney and found uh, during the course of that that we both uh, suffered from chronic illness. Ashley was diagnosed with chronic fatigue in the time since I'd known her and I was diagnosed with CIDP, which is a a chronic uh, inflammatory disorder uh, about a year before I first met Ashley. And we found that we had so much in common you know, in terms of our struggle with chronic illness as we did with our love of writing and reading. But more interestingly, we found as well that there is a a huge crossover, it seems, between the writing and the reading community and the, I guess, the chronic illness community. There seems to be, you know, a real overlap between those two worlds. And in talking to one, we're sort of invariably talking to the other a lot of the time, which is really interesting. It's, it's amazing. And I find with chronic illnesses, do you feel like a lot of people don't understand them? And so you felt that sort of commonality with each other? Yes. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's really hard, particularly with, you know, I think a condition like cancer, for example, which be- can become a chronic illness because just, you know, chron- chronic is simply defined as anything lasting longer than six months, which, you know, coping with cancer often does. Um something like cancer there's there's a narrative that exists in in sort of popular culture like in movies and in books so if you tell someone you have cancer they have some sort of idea of what that might be like in terms of the illness affecting you and in terms of the treatment that you're going to go through and and the impact on on those around you if you tell someone you have chronic fatigue syndrome and they're I, I think if people have heard of it they're just like oh so you're tired like well I'm tired too and that's and just like it's it's so difficult to try and explain because it doesn't exist out in the world of 
of popular culture. And, and then James's mm. condition is such a rare condition. No one's pretty much ever heard of it. Uh, so it, it, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, and, but then when you meet someone who, you know, has a, or often I meet people who have a, a friend or family member that has chronic fatigue syndrome or something similar like fibromyalgia and they understand so intimately and it's just so much easier to talk to that person because they just, they have sort of a grasp on what it might be like for you. And then, and then that makes it just, it makes the conversation just take place in a totally different. It's like, I guess it would be the difference between talking to someone who reads books <laughs> and talking to someone who doesn't read books. It's like, you know, you have an in with the one group and the other group, it's, it's, you've got to work Absolutely. a lot harder to find well, common ground. Well, that's, that's such a positive thing that you guys have come together um, to talk about books and to shine a light on, on these kind of, you know, health conditions that people may not have heard of. I think that's really important. Oh, thank you. Well, it's been so interesting talking to to some of the, you know, the authors that we've gotten to talk to and, and just the different ways that they've approached their um, health challenges and, and approached in their writing and approached in their lives. And But you have done, like you said, almost 250 episodes. So we're going to ask you a huge question, which is, um, what have some of your favorite interviews been? What are some of the highlights or the best of from your episodes? And have you had any surprises along the way? Mm, this is a hard question because I honestly walk away from every conversation having learned something new and feeling really good. Like I honestly can say I have never walked away from a conversation going, geez, I wish I hadn't have done that. <laughs> but I think the surprises emerge when you come away and you just can't stop thinking about the conversation that took place and you feel like you're connected on a really human level and you go on these deep ch- tangents with someone that you've often just met or have seen on social media. And I think that's what surprises me the most. You go from, oh, hey, how are you going, Ashley? And then you start talking about these really deep things that have happened in your life, like your fears or, you know, how you've just shared, you know, your your um, health conditions with me and, you know, all of those things. And so, you know, Ashley, and I we shared some experiences about spiders (laughs) yes we did (laughs) but it's these things that connect you with people and help to connect you with the world those shared experiences but I think for me the ones that I walk away with and I walk out and this is sort of my my ritual I I walk out go back into my lounge room I make myself a tea I sit down with some lint balls and I just sit you know for a couple of minutes because these conversations they are quite taxing emotionally I think Mm. And I really like it when I sit and think, wow, that person was really honest and really vulnerable. And I spoke um, I spoke to length to Holden Shepherd about his experience while writing Invisible Boys. And, you know, this conversation was so honest and heartfelt and it had such shades of dark and light and hope. And the same when I had a conversation with Jeremy Lachlan, you know, we started talking about grief and his anxiety about losing his father when he passed away. And, you know, you don't ask for things but they sort of come naturally with the conversation. And I think that's really special. And I feel really privileged that people are so generous to be sharing those personal experiences with me of their lives. And I do sometimes get people, you know, call me or message me the next day and saying, look, I've had a bit of a think. I think I was a bit too honest with you. And I'd rather <laughs> not have that out into the world. And I obviously always respect that. Yeah. Um, hope no one ever steals my desktop because they're all on there. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. It's all your secrets. Secrets, Ashley. Um, 
spider base <laughs> but I think it's really special and I, I definitely don't take that part for granted because I think you know people sharing those those hard challenging hopeful things about their lives that's really special you know I think when I spoke to Alex Miles we always start chatting as if we're no longer recording and we forget we're like oh we're not actually in a cafe we probably should get back to the book and when I spoke to Angela Meyer I, I said at the end we could have just been in a whiskey bar like seriously <laughs> was this even a podcast oh. <laughs> so I think that's what surprises me that in you know a very short period of time you know maybe 30 40 minutes you can just know someone so well a part of them so well and people are just so willing to be generous with their experiences so that's what surprises me I think I know exactly what you mean about because there's been times when we've had messages after we've done interviews as well where people have said you know, I'm, I'm not actually sure that I want that out in the world. Could you cut that out? And the thing that always strikes me is how lovely that they felt safe to share that with us, you know, in the conversation that they were having a conversation with Ashley and I, sort of without an eye to, you know, the podcast being something that's out in the world. And that's, you know, really, really lovely. It's funny, I was saying to my housemate before we started this, I feel much more nervous about this than any other interview we've done. And I think it's because we're talking about us. I don't mind asking other people about their deep, dark secrets. I don't like talking about me. So it's a good experience. It's being on the other side of the interview, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I like that basically we've just all told our audiences that, like, look, we cut out all the good bits. Like, we keep those for ourselves. <laughs> That's the super episode. <laughs> I, I should just create one for myself called the Secret Confessions Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, James, I know you've just touched on, you know, a similar thing, but have you had any specific episodes or guests or creative highlights during your podcast experience? Yeah, there's been a few that come to mind immediately, but the one that I think I found the most affecting on a personal and creative level was our interview with Ada Palmer, uh, which was only the last month or two. And she she's a phenomenal uh, writer of science fiction. Uh, she studies the Renaissance. She's got a one of the most amazing you know memories and speaking abilities of anyone I've ever spoken to. She just rattled off so many intricate and fascinating facts about that period in time and about what she's studying when we spoke to her. But she also spoke at length about how she copes with the limit limitations placed on her life with chronic illness and about how you know part of that is accepting things like I might not write as many books as I want to in my life but I will make sure that the ones that I do write are amazing and that I put all my energy and work into that and that conversation is one that I think about a lot you know just day to day um there's something you know like you were just saying people when we're interviewing people about their chronic illness and it's often stuff that they i don't think they would talk to people about you know in in normal contexts and it's it takes a huge amount of vulnerability for people to show us that stuff and often you know i come away feeling so inspired and so moved and so motivated because i'm seeing these wonderful people doing all these wonderful things and you know coping with it so well um, and i feel very very lucky to be witness to that in our interviews absolutely what about you ashley yeah, I agree with James. And actually, we just a couple of episodes back released a sort of best of uh, writing tips from uh, 2020 from some of our interviews that um, I was like, I was really excited about um, just how much we learned from talking to people like talking to other writers, but also, again, like James was saying, like um, learning about also just coping with illness and managing and managing illness. 
Um, and we also, we did an interview. Most of the people we've interviewed have been creative, so largely writers, but we also interviewed a stand-up comedian. Today we interviewed a multidisciplinary artist uh, for a forthcoming episode. And um, that's all been fantastic. But we also interviewed a um, art therapist mm. who works with uh first responders and military personnel who have PTSD. And she talked about how the art therapy, like how it supports recovery. And it was such a fascinating conversation. I'm really grateful to her for explaining her her work to us. And it, it, she was just so lovely because she just loved what she did. Like you could just tell she just thought it was just the best job in the world. And she was so excited that we were interested and that we, you know, wanted to hear about it and wanted to share it. I love that idea of all sorts of creatives. I think that's amazing. What does your life look like outside of the podcast, Danny? I'm very curious. You were telling us um, earlier that normally your kids are in bed by the time you're recording, but not always. Not tonight. <laughs> my six-year-old will often lie underneath my desk when I'm podcasting. Oh, that's such a sweet image. I was at the end of an interview with James Foley and Tim Harris, and James said, is there someone breathing? <laughs> like, you know, like, in the in the microphone, I went, yes, that's my daughter. She's just fallen asleep. <laughs> really asleep. And we could hear this like Darth Vader breath in the background. So that's part of what my life looks like. Um, and look, sometimes it's a weird experience. I remember um, I finished live streaming with Matthew Riley, who lives in the US. So it was a Saturday at 10 a.m. Then I switched off my computer, threw on my joggers and went straight to my kid's soccer game. <laughs> Oh, right. Wow. Weird experiences that you, you have. I mean, I'm interviewing right now in my pyjama bottoms. Yeah, um, nice. <laughs> I often come to interviews. I do them around, you know, uh, this one, 7.30. To, I've actually got one tonight at 10.30 as well because she lives oh, in wow. the States. Yeah. And right. otherwise it was ridiculous, 3 a.m. or something, the time I usually podcast with her. So I said, yeah, I'll do a late one. So quite often I will be lying with my kids in their bed after reading them a book and I will literally come out five minutes before my podcast, sit down, put my headphones on and press record. (laughs) And so so I thought if I did a montage of my life, you know, outside the podcast, it would have a musical soundtrack, which would definitely be something daggy from the 80s. And it would be me <laughs> reading, lying around with my kids, playing endless games of Uno and me always losing. Not accidentally, by the way. I try really hard, but I always lose. <laughs> um, <laughs> going for walks, bike rides, having the odd panic attack, cooking dumplings, drinking tea, eating chocolate, working at my desk um, with my head trapped in a computer. So that, that would be what my life looks like outside of the podcast in a nutshell. Right. I love the, and I also love the image of you like going, like your ritual of going and having your tea and your lynch balls, like after the, after the, after your recordings. That's wonderful. Every time. <laughs> it's kind of the thing that's like, all right, you know, because you, you, you do need that downtime afterwards, I think, because I think, you know, I said before, mm-hmm. these conversations, you, you're on, you know, even though you're just sitting here, your brain's on, sometimes it's emotionally taxing as well. And so I like to have that, you know, that calming tea to look forward to afterwards. <laughs> Right. Do you have a particular tea that's that's your that's your go-to? Yeah, chamomile is my go-to, and I found a new one where it's the actual flowers of the chamomile tea. Oh, fancy! Yeah, and you just put it in, and they had it on sale at Coles the other day. So I bought like eight boxes, <laughs> <laughs> just them all in my trolley. Nice. Sorry if anyone else 
let some. But um, yeah, I have a lot of tea a day. And uh, yeah, the real flowers, I don't know if it makes a difference. I feel like the flavor's better, but they're really pretty. Right. Oh, that matters, yeah. right? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that image. <laughs> and how do you exist outside the podcast? If you had to do your like life montage, what would that look like? <laughs> love that question, James. I'm gonna let you do your life montage first. My life montage, God. Um it would be a long, boring film, and I think most people would walk out like three quarters away. You didn't even ask for a film, you said montage. Sorry, I don't know why I'm going to film. Um a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of working. That's really it. I'm, you know what? I'm really lucky, actually. I'm living my perfect life. I'm living in regional New South Wales at the moment. Um, I'm working. I've just spent six months working as an ICU nurse. I'm about to um, move into working as an emergency nurse. The time that I'm not at work, I'm either hanging out with the fantastic friends that I've met here. I'm writing or I'm reading. That's really it. And you know, that's I'm happy with that. That's good. I don't need anything more in my life. So that would be the montage. Um, and it would be set to something upbeat and cheery. <laughs> Ashley, what about you? I, what, I just want to put a note on your on your montage there, James, is what you did not mention at all is is coping with the illness, which I know is a big part of your life. But it, like, it's just, it's so... Um, you didn't see Rocky taking a dump in the montage where he was getting ready for a fight. They didn't need to include that. It's a given. That would have made it much more impressive, actually. <laughs> like Rocky was doing all that with chronic diarrhea. It would, yeah. It would be really impressive. This is this is one of the differences between me and James is that I'm I'm a little bit more comfortable t- talking about how the illness affects my life because I know I know like does affect James's life quite a bit and but he often um you know just just focuses outside of that which is which is one of the ways he copes and manages that and that's absolutely fine. Um I you know my montage would be a lot of me sleeping on the couch in the middle of the day because I'm too tired to function and sometimes you know, sometimes that's really actually peaceful. Like I, I can accept that that's just um, something that I have to have to cope with. And I do feel very lucky. I've got a got a safe home. I've, I'm, you know, my husband has a good job. So we're financially stable, even if I'm not able to work at all. Um, and, you know, I have a condition where most of the time I'm not in pain. So I am often just able to just rest. But sometimes I'm just I'm I'm lying there visually. It, it would look the same, but I'm really really frustrated because there's things I want to be doing or deadlines that I have or things that I've you know plans that I've canceled, and so I'm I'm really aggravated and I'm so you know I've been sick for over four years now and I'm just so so tired of of coping with it and I just want to have I just really want to have a normal month like I just want to have thirty days where I'm like get up and do things and then I'm tired at the end of the night and I go to bed and I sleep and I get up the next day and I do that again and that would be just like that's my like big ambition right now is uh is trying to trying to do that so but I I um do a lot of writing as well I do a lot of reading as well I love going for walks that's the only exercise I'm able to do and I'm very thankful for that because when I was at my sickest I couldn't even do that so um I love I love going for going for a, a nice walk every day if the weather allows. Um, yeah, so that's my life. I've seen Ashley on social media, you know, you've put the hours that you say you've lost over the month or over a couple of weeks. And I think that really puts it into context. You know, like you said, you know, people who haven't experienced it or don't know someone with a chronic illness or chronic fatigue syndrome perhaps can't understand that. But when you actually put it in hours, I think it, it makes it a lot easier to go, wow, that that is significant. 
That was one of my 2020 projects, Danny. So there, thanks for mentioning that. I did, um, it was uh, the Lost Hours Project and there was a like hashtag Lost Hours Project. And basically I was trying to figure out how to capture that. Like, I guess exactly what you were saying, like if I was going to do a montage, you know, Instagram is sort of a, a very curated mm-hmm. montage of your life. So I would take a picture of myself sleeping effectively and then I would post the tally so what I was counting was how many hours I had actually lost in terms of I was not able to do anything. So it was an hour when I should have been awake, you know, sort of in you know, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., should have been awake, should have been doing something, even if that something was just relaxing or watching TV or whatever. Like, But I was too sick to do any of those things, and I was I was, had to lie down and, um, and disengage from my life. And what I realized in doing that, A, I lost over a thousand hours, which was the equivalent of two months of waking days. Uh, and that was sort of an alarming, I mean, I knew it was bad, but I was, I think I'd been hoping last year would be better than that. And also I realized that those hours are a bit inconsequential to how much I'm able to do in the other hours because I had a couple months in September, October where I lost, in, you know, in terms of my tally, I lost the same amount of hours. But in September, I was really struggling and everything I was doing was so hard and I couldn't do any writing and to do anything like to wash the dishes or to do, you know, I, I work from, for writing New South Wales and to do any of my work was, was really challenging and difficult. And then... October, you know, like I said, I was in bed about the same amount of time. But uh, when I was up and functional, I felt good. And I felt, you know, almost like a normal, healthy person. And, and so that made the month just so much easier and so much more enjoyable. And and that's when I realized, okay, this, this, this tally, I kept it up through 2020, but I decided not to do it this year, because I didn't think it was actually the best way to reflect what I was experiencing. I still haven't figured out what is the best way to reflect that. It's 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 a very complicated illness. You raise a very, very good point about it's really um interesting. Like when you you say that I um downplay you know, the illness um to a degree or don't certainly don't talk about it as, as openly as you do. And that's a really good point. And it's something we've talked about before that's probably not a great quality in someone who's attempting to co-host a podcast about chronic illness. And it's something that I think it was something that I struggled with when we started the podcast. I genuinely, you know, wrestled with the idea of um, talking about my health on a forum like this, because my worry was that I didn't want it to, to, to make it my identity. And I think that ties into a lot of anxieties about a lot of other things, you know, um, about wanting to not be seen as someone who's unwell. And this is something that we've talked about on the podcast and that the conclusion that I've reached in the past is, well, that's a bit unfortunate really because I've got this chronic illness and whether I would like to have it or not doesn't change the fact that I do. But I also think it's part of what makes what we're doing on the podcast hopefully helpful to other people because Ashley and I do come at this from very different perspectives. And I think far from, you know, Ashley making her illness her identity or anything like that it's not what you're doing at all you're but you're drawing attention to the fact that this is something that you're experiencing and this is you know something that you're going through on a day-to-day basis and you know reaching out whereas my instinct is always to sort of to clam up and to not want to to show that which you know not that helpful in the long term and i think it's helpful for me to to talk to you about these kind of things and to you know get these different perspectives and these different ideas different ways of doing things managing it 
Um, I think you're absolutely right because I think um, in the in the day of you know technology and Instagram, as you mentioned, Ashley, a very curated montage of your life, and you know there are perfect pictures of you know with you with filters on and cookies and books that look beautiful, all that kind of stuff. I actually think it's really important to then balance that out with some real life. And so, you know, I've done a similar thing and I know we'll get to this soon about talking about my anxiety because I think balancing it out makes you, I guess, more human and then people can go, oh, okay, yes, Mm. you know, there's a real person behind that very curated Instagram page. And I think it's important because otherwise we all look at everybody else's lives and think everyone's got it together except for us. So I think having that balance I think is really important. Actually, let's jump into that now, Danny, if you don't mind. Um, on your Instagram page, one of the things you've got, it says anxiety warrior. And I'd love to hear more about your experience with anxiety and how you manage it. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say manage it because it is, and I think I might be smack bang in between you both. I don't know. Let me let me tell me what you think. You know, nine times out of ten, I am happy and I suck the joy from life, and I'm you know I'm feeling good and all that kind of stuff. But there is that sort of one out of ten, one percent of the time, maybe I don't know, maybe it's more that you know you don't cope. And I've also got an anaphylactic allergy as well as the anxiety. And yesterday I you know came down with hives. Long story short, and those are the moments that you just don't cope. And I think I've come to terms with the fact that instead of getting down mm-hmm. about that, you just go, "That's okay." It's okay if I'm down at this, you know, small amount of time because that's just what being human is. And when we're getting back to the mm. anxiety, I've always had an anxious energy about me and I, I thank my, you know, genetic history for this too because I don't know if you've read anything about this, but I've read about trauma and anxiety and how they think it can be passed through generations on like a cellular level. Now, apologies if anyone thinks about science, because I've totally oversimplified it. <laughs> but, but when I think about... It's part of the, part of the underst- you know, the, the reason for things like intergenerational trauma in Indigenous communities and that sort of thing is the, you know, the role of, yeah, the genetic component of anxiety. And it's really intrigued to me because my, my grandparents, my Oma and Opa, they came from Indonesia via Holland as prisoners of war in a Japanese war camp and growing up with them yeah and growing up with them just little things that they would do were just beyond my experience you know just from simple things to never wasting any food at all you know all that high level of anxiety when everything when something wasn't exactly how it was expected and as a child I didn't understand that and I I honestly can probably never understand it to the way you know, of their experiences and how they shaped them. But it intrigues me now to think, particularly my Oma, the anxiety that she suffered and the trauma she suffered after being in that uh, prisoner of war camp for um, a number of years. And particularly for women, it was, you know, some awful traumatic things happened to women in in these camps. And I feel like, yeah, I have anxiety, but a part of me wonders you know, what part of it is genetic and what part of it is sort of environmental or whatever. That was just a little side thing that I thought about today. But um, I'll just sort of, it's it's hard to say this in a nutshell, but I'll try my best. (laughs) Um, I think I have these times where, you know, you live with anxiety as you guys do. You live with this chronic illness, which just hums beside you every day. I don't know if that's the same for you, but that's, that's for me. But most of the time I can function. I can get on with my life. 
I'm a very happy, optimistic person, but I know that two particular times in my life were debilitating and I'm talking about the type of anxiety where I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't leave the house, I was just, I couldn't function in any sort of functional way at all in my life. And, you know, they were brought on by external factors. Um, One of them was my auntie, who was also my godmother. She passed away very quickly and quite young. And that coincided with the birth of my son. And so I had this terrible postnatal anxiety where I would just wake up at 3 a.m. in this full-blown panic attack with this feeling of impending doom that something awful was about to happen and just catastrophizing everything. And Inside, I knew that I definitely wasn't being the best mother I could be, but I wasn't doing, you know, myself justice as well. And, you know, the same thing happened to me in 2019. I came down with this mystery sort of illness, which ended up being vestibular migraine. And again, that's a chronic illness that I sort of deal with, but I've got it well under control now. But, you know, your vestibular migraine isn't, it's not even just pain. It's like vertigo for hours where you can't get out of bed. And oh, so, you know, oh, yeah, and so obviously my I've got that totally under control now, so I don't even consider that part of my life anymore. I, you know, I take the right meds and I have enough sleep most of the time, etc. So I, I can, I've been able to control that. So that's okay. Right. But living with anxiety, it is a constant challenge. And, you know, for the most part of my life, like I said, I function and I go to work and hopefully I'm as good a parent as I can be and as, you know, good person as I can be. But, um, yeah, it is something that I have accepted only over the last few years that it's always going to live beside me. And that's how I see it. I see it, this thing just sitting next to me all the time. Sometimes I can't ignore it. Sometimes it's more than a hum. But I think the two things that I've really learnt about my anxiety is that it, it has to stop owning me and that's why I've started talking about it a lot and the second thing is, is that I know I'll always get to the other side. Even when you feel like you can't, I'll always get to the other side because I've done it before when I didn't think I could. Right. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And do, so do you find that talking about it more has been helpful? Um, I think so. I think so. I'm, I don't know, really. It made me feel a little, a little bit better because I think, okay, it's not this like secret anymore, you know. And it's funny because when I've recently started talking about it with people, they look at me and they, they go, even, you know, my dad's wife, she's like, really? I would never have guessed that you were an anxious mm. person because you come across as, you know, quite confident, etc. But I actually think, and you see this with people who, who live with depression as well, that they have this other sort of public side of them that is very yeah. different to that person or that, you know, that, that mental illness or chronic illness that they're, they're dealing with every day. And I find that very interesting. And I started talking about it I kind of accidentally, I think, because 2019 was a pretty terrible year for me in terms of anxiety and health. Um, and I was doing the podcast at that time and I would literally drag myself out of bed, do a 20-minute interview and go back to bed because it was kind of the only sort of shining light in my day that I got to not think about feeling sick all the time. And I think talking about it, it did help me because I feel like, although anxiety nice. still owns me every now and then, <laughs> I feel like talking about it makes me own it a little bit more, if yeah. that makes sense. I don't know if either of you guys can relate to this. I feel like when... I'm unwell, when it's flaring up, when things are bad, that's when I'm really, really glad that I've talked to people about it because I'm, you know, I can reach out to people without needing to to preface it with 
a backstory. But there are still there are times when I feel well when it feels like I was saying before very vulnerable to have talked about it and something that helps me to keep wanting to talk about it and to keep being open about it then is to remember how much it helps when things are shit yeah. to have talked about it when you know things are okay. Absolutely, I also find that too when you are having a pretty bad day and you just get these, you know, there's just really nice simple messages like "Are you okay?" or "Yeah, yeah." How are you going? Or, hey, here's a link to a song that I know you like. Listen to that. You know, everyone knows that's not a cure, but it's just such a, it just makes you feel better, you know, and you think it, it is worth talking about. It's kind of addressing, you know, the identity component as well as the condition itself because it's acknowledging here's something that's difficult to talk about that for whatever reason, you know, is still difficult to talk about in society it's acknowledging that that's okay. You can talk about it. He's permission to talk about it. You know, it, it breaks down the barriers between, you know, you not being able to talk about it and being able to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you, I think you're absolutely right. And, um, I think talking about it is good as well as particularly when you're on a podcast, I think it's good for other people. Cause even if it's not anxiety for them, it could be something else. And I think it's that shared experiences of we're all, no matter what our Instagram page looks like, we're all struggling <laughs> with something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'd really like to know with you guys, what's coming up for you creatively? Well, I am very excited because uh, the audiobook of My Name is Revenge, which was my first book, that will be released very soon. And it's actually already available on a few audiobook apps like Kobo. Um, but we're, wait- we're waiting for it to come out on um, Amazon slash Audible before I, I, I officially announce it. But I'm really excited about it because the um, – my name is Revenge is, is uh, fiction and essays and the fiction, the, the, uh, which is like a literary thriller story that was read by a voice actor and he did a phenomenal job. He really brought all the characters to life and it's a crime story set here in Sydney based on historical events. And it was just so exciting to hear him, to hear him, you know, read it out. It was great. And then I got to read the, the essays at the end because there, there's a lot of memoir in them. They're quite personal. And, uh, and I you know I've always wanted to record my own audiobook. That's been one of my dreams. And and it was a wonderful experience. I could not believe how exhausting it was to actually record it. It was it was such a tiring experience. Um, but I, I'm really, really happy with the the final product. So I'm really excited for that to be out in the world. And uh and uh, yeah, so that's that's coming up for me soon. How about you, James? Um, I the next thing I've got coming up is a fellowship with Varuna in uh, May. So I'll be spending two weeks there at the uh, Varuna House in the Blue Mountains writing. Um, I mean, I'm kind of in a really lovely position of freedom where – I'm just writing at the moment because I enjoy it. You know, I'm I'm not in a position where it's needing to pay bills or I'm writing to meet contracts or deadlines. I'm writing because I love it and that's so much fun. So I think, you know, what's coming up for me creatively is really just more of the same, which is doing this because I love it. That sounds amazing. And I just think, Ashley, hearing your book read by someone else, it must just give it a complete new life. Oh, it was it's incredible. And and he it was actually my publisher approached me and she said uh, there's this voice actor that I work with, and I think he would be fantastic to read your book. So that's really where the project came from: is the idea that he, um, that he would be, uh, you know, the right person to do it. And so, um, 
yeah, it, it turned out fantastic. And I'm so excited for it to be out in the world. I can't I can't wait. So we will be releasing a small, uh, small teaser for it uh, on our on our podcast stream, actually. So make sure you check that out in on a future episode. And James, I'm so jealous of your fellowship. I've always wanted to check that place out. So I, I want to report when you get back. <laughs> I'll, I'll steal something I'll steal some cutlery or something oh, and mail it to you mail it to me I'll give you my address afterwards it'd be great a napkin will do <laughs> Danny you've spent the last few years talking to people about books uh, interviewing people about books you're obviously a voracious reader has doing this podcast changed your reading habits and changed the way you read I think the way it has changed the most is that the books choose me these days if, if makes sense Mm. so I've always been a very wide reader and I've loved reading you know at uni I studied English lit and then I was an English teacher and head teacher for 17 years cumulatively and so you don't always get to choose the books you read I guess sometimes you do Um, but I've always read multiple books at once as well and I like to read different genres at once depending on my mood you know sometimes I'm in a historical fiction mood sometimes I want a bit of crime so, you know, I like mixing them up. But I've always read, I guess, books in an analytical way as well, being that English teacher nerd. So that hasn't changed. But what has changed for me is that I'll often just get books sent to me that, you know, that are just coming out and I didn't ask for and I'll pick it up and I'll be amazed by it. And I love that because it's the best gift that it may not have been a book that have been on your radar or you may not have picked it up for whatever reason. And you read it and you go, oh, my God, how could I have lived without reading this book? And for me last year, that was definitely Meg Mason's Sorrow and Bliss. And, look, I probably would have picked it up anyway. Maybe I wouldn't have found it or something. And so I'm so glad that fell into my hands, you know, about a woman dealing with her relationships and an ongoing mental illness. And I just thought it was just such a real and vulnerable book. And so I think um, I'm just a bit more... I just sort of let sometimes the world take me in these sort of directions and go, oh, this isn't a book that I I, um, would have picked up, but, hey, this looks interesting. The author has an interesting story and I sort of go with it. So I guess I'm a bit more open and I let, um, if it makes sense, the books choose me a little bit now. Oh, that's lovely. That's probably my favourite thing about doing this podcast is that I come home from work and there are piles of books at the doorstep that I didn't ask for that I've never heard of and that I get to then go and read. It's amazing. I think my housemates sit to death. It's like, James, there's more books. You know, is this spam? What are we doing here? But it's fantastic. It's so good. It's like being part of a book club that I didn't sign up for. It is. It's fantastic. A couple of free books and some Varuna cutlery. <laughs> Can't wait for my cutlery. I'm going to eat my lint balls with a fork. <laughs> I'm going to get an email tomorrow that's going to be like, Dear Mr. Watson. <laughs> you're not, yeah, you're not coming. Oh, there's like no sheets on your bed. You've got to bring your own sheets. The bed is like nailed down. Here's your plastic cutlery for your stay, Mr. Watson. <laughs> you don't get the real stuff. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. That's that. I mean, to me, that's a way. How much of this shit can I get in my car before I drive back? I'd like to just thank you guys so much for this conversation. It's funny because we've been looking at the time and it's only 45, well, only 45 minutes, but it feels like I could talk to about, you know, talk to you for another 45. Uh, yeah, it's such a shame because I agree. I feel like there's so much that I'd love to to keep chatting about and, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Well, I think we just need to do a follow-up mid-year. What do you reckon? A sequel? 
Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it is really funny how different it feels. Like you were saying, being interviewed, I feel much more self-conscious. I don't feel self-conscious talking on the podcast at all anymore. Well, thank you so much, Danny. This has been just excellent. And uh, we encourage, of course, all our listeners to check out your fabulous podcast. You know, go back and listen to Danny's full 250 episode catalog because um, she's just wonderful and all her interviews are wonderful. Well, that's a big ask, Ashley, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> And same as you guys, I love listening to your podcast and I really like the um, added, you know, bit about health and and talking about that. I think that's really important to shine a light on these things and, you know, balance out our uh, perfect Instagram pages. So thank you so much again. Thank you, Danny.